There we go. So welcome to the Sunday call uh, for the UK. Um, uh, Qatar is actually right over there on the other side of the room uh, looking on with his PC. And that um, today it would be good for us to talk about something that uh, is an issue for everybody. And yet when we have the issue, we think that everything is um, missing something. Uh, so basically what we're talking about is, is that as we start on the spiritual path, we can uh, begin to practice and then something will happen. What kind of things can happen? Oh, grandma dies. Another thing that happened, oh, I did a retreat. Something else happens is, um, uh, oh, I've got to talk to my family. Any of these kind of things that happen will, uh, let us say, now become something important. Like, for instance, grandma died. And so when things become important, we'll get the attitude of, oh, well, I've got to do this important thing and I'm going to kind of neglect my practice. And this is almost a subconscious kind of thought. And this is, in fact, the reason why the spiritual journey for so many people takes so long. It's not that we're not practicing correctly when we're practicing. It's that the times when we're not practicing when we need to. When we need it the most. This is the reason why we develop sati, or I talk about sati to develop it the way that I do, is to remember that we need to remember at the times when we need it the most. This is, in fact, Murphy's Law. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong, and it'll go wrong at the worst possible moment. Examples of that is, is that computer systems at hotels will fail when the hotel is full not when it's empty, not when it's in construction, not even on opening night. It's going to fail when the convention comes and it's overloaded. The next thing that happens would be like a rocket. Rockets fail and blow up when? Before they're built? No. How about when they ran out of space? No. Hello, Armet. Hello, when they when the rocket fails is when it's under its most stress, which means when it's taking off. That right after it's full up with uh, with fuel, they put it in the air, and that's when the rocket normally fails. In human life, it's the same thing. When our practice fails is when we need it the most. And we don't practice. Examples of that would be, like I said, grandma dies. Oh, I feel bad because grandma dies. I cried at her funeral. I cried at her hearse or whatever like that, not recognizing that that's the time when we need the practice the most. And that that's something that you were mentioning, um, Pedro, is, is that uh, when the going gets tough, when you got to deal with family, we forget, we neglect our practice, especially if the family or our friends is giving us exactly opposite of the advice that we need to hear. 
that in fact ordinary people will give ordinary advice to go do something ordinary. Like, oh, you ought to get out more. Oh, you need to go see some people. In fact, that's what they would do if they were in a bad shape. For the Dhamma dudes, that's not good advice, is to go, um, go socialize. What we need to do instead is to remember to change those unwholesome thoughts to wholesome thoughts. Now, as I have seen it over the years, um, there will come times when our practice gets lax. An example of that is right after I disrobed from uh, uh, be, being a monk, I took a hiatus. The Dhamma wasn't important to me anymore. And I got myself into all kinds of trouble, not even recognizing that that was what was happening. I think, in fact, the best thing that I can say is that Achan Po put me back on the path by asking me to do this, these teachings here on the Internet. And so I got back into it. So going in and out, sometimes we'll go out of practice for maybe a, a month. Sometimes we'll go out of practice for a couple of years. But eventually we will remember that, hey, it's better to actually get the mind straightened out rather than thinking that I'm OK without the Dhamma. I'm OK that I've got enough of the um, hindrances out of the mind. Now I can go play. Well, guess what? Those hindrances were only, let us say, partially removed and that the old underlying tendencies, the old habits are still there. And so um, we get out of practice and it is good to remember to come back into practice. Oh, it's really important to remember that we need to practice the most when we need it the most. And yet, uh, we'll make all kinds of excuses. One excuse would be, oh, well, I feel tired now. It's not time to practice. I want to feel, I want to practice when I feel good. And the answer to that is no, if you're not practicing, you're not feeling good and you're not feeling good. And so avoiding practice is not going to make you feel good. The right thing to do when we're feeling bad is let's go get the mind straightened out again. Let's go back into seclusion. Let's go back in and start watching uh, the hindrances arise and use the right noble effort to remove them. So uh, if the family, for instance, is contradicting that and says, oh, you need to get out more. The answer to that is, well, what we really need to do is to get in more, get that straightened out and then will let going out more take care of itself. That in fact, moms and dads give advice about what they think you need to do because they already see a problem that we don't see. That we often confuse our parents. And the right way to handle it is, is that let's stop confusing our parents by shutting up about whatever it is and get our mind straightened out, get the get our mojo back, get our uh, good feelings back again. And now we can deal with the parents. Another example would be when grandma dies. We don't have to cry. We don't have to boohoo. We don't have to worry about what happens. All we need to do is to get our mind back together correctly. And maybe we can do that by having good thoughts about granny. Like, wow, she was really good to me. 
rather than saying we miss her, we can say I remember her well. And so we always can find a way of turning those unwholesome thoughts around. Now, one of the things that happens with people who do retreats is that they, if they're not practicing correctly in the retreat, they'll come out of the retreat in a negative state. Like, oh, I'm going to leave Thailand. I'm going back to my old country. Uh, the heck with this. I'm just going to go get a job and live my life normally. So the example for that would be there's a drawing that I know, and that drawing has a, um, a, a pasture that's got a, a fencing that cross one another so that there's two or there's four quadrants. So let us say the northeast, the northwest, the southeast, and the southwest. So the one that there's cows there, four cows. Each cow is in one of the four quadrants. But the cows are not eating the grass in their own quadrant. They stick their head under the fence and eat the grass of the cow next to them. So the cow in the southwest quadrant is eating the uh, the grass in the northeast, or excuse me, in the southeast uh, corner. And the cow that's in the southeast corner will be eating the grass by sticking her head under the fence of the northeast corner. The northeast corner cow is eating the grass under the fence of the northwest cow and the northwest cow is eating the food out of the pasture of the southwest and so each cow is not eating the grass in their own they say oh it's not good enough here the food is always going to be better someplace else think about that in the sense that whatever we are, if we're in, uh, in negative thoughts, one of the negative thoughts would be, oh, I would feel better if I went to this place or if I did that. Those are the kind of unwholesome thoughts that we have on a regular basis. And the answer to that is remembering to practice, to come back to the practice and get our heads back together so that we're not in unwholesome thoughts and then we're not trying to get the grass from the greener pasture. You've heard that phrase, is the grass is always greener on the other side. So the example would be that we, um, and this happened to me, happens to everybody, had a job in the United States, didn't like it, didn't like my life, didn't like my career, wanted help. I could see that I was in suffering. That's why I got into psychology in the first place. And then from psychology, I got into meditation with Muktananda, and up and behold, I move all the way to India. Now, when I was in India, I didn't want to be in India. I wanted to be back in the United States. And when I was in the United States, I didn't want to be in the United States. I wanted to be back in India, not recognizing that all of those are unwholesome thoughts. Wherever we are, it's not good enough. It will be better someplace else. It'll be better if I change the conditions. And really what we need to do is change the conditions of the mind. So I've seen students who come and do meditation retreats in uh, Thailand. And what they want to do now is get out of Thailand and go back to their old country. Not remembering that the reason that they left the old country and came to Thailand was because the old country has dukkha there. The dukkha, I could see it, but 
but I can't see that dukkha now while I'm in Thailand because now I can only see the dukkha in Thailand. So one of the things that I would recommend to students would be if you're in this country, don't think about going to that country. If you're in the U.S., you don't have to go to Thailand. You could be happy in the U.S. But if you do come to Thailand, guess what? Now you'll start having thoughts about, oh, I was better off if I was back in the U.S. So here I'm in Thailand, wanting to be in the U.S., and when I'm in the U.S., I want to be in Thailand. And we're always looking for something on the outside, like family or surroundings or retreat centers or dead grannies or any of that kind of stuff is the reason why we feel bad rather than recognizing that all we feel bad because we're in the habit of feeling bad and look how many different ways I can find to feel bad thinking that if I go do this or go do that I won't feel so bad and the really important point is is that no when you see that you're feeling bad do something about it right now get away from those people whoever they are come into a state of seclusion sit down and get your mind back together again Carl, you had a question. Yeah, I wanted to ask, so would, would we consider the, for example, seeing I'm in this country, I'm not liking being in this country, then I move to other country, is, isn't that just the cycle? Isn't that just a cycle of like, the same cycle of Dukkha? You're just like going round and round and round and round, isn't it? Yes, exactly so. And it's funny is that everybody but us can see us in that cycle. But the family can see when I'm in an unwholesome state, but they'll recommend unwholesome things to do to come out of the unwholesome state. The Buddha will recommend, in fact, don't do those things that keep us in that unwholesome cycle. But let's go do something new. Let's change that cycle. Let's come out of our um, wanting and desires and bad feelings by seeing those things as wanting and desires and bad feelings and say, hey, I can gladden the mind. Hey, I can change these thoughts. I don't have to think about how much better off I would be if I did this. I can think about how much better off I can be right now by just merely changing the mind right now. So it wouldn't matter where you end up in a cycle. It just matters. Are you are you feeling wholesome, particularly in the particle of the cycle? If you're in India right now, can you feel happy? But if you're feeling unhappy in India, maybe you land back in, in the same country. Can you feel happy now? And then catching yourself in the cycle constantly and seeing if you can make it wholesome all the time, isn't it? The yes, cycles exactly. keep going on of jobs, countries. And then can you catch yourself in those cycles and see if you're wholesome during the cycle? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Then in fact the cycles will take care of themselves if we would in fact put in the wholesome thoughts. Generally, it's the unwholesome that cycles. It's almost like uh, you've heard the, the expression monkey mind. Well, imagine that a monkey is a monkey mind that's jumping from tree branch to tree branch. And just like the, uh, the mind, the reason why the monkey moves away from this branch that he's on is because he's not satisfied. He doesn't feel safe and secure. And so he jumps to another branch. And there he is again, feeling unsafe, unsecure, and so he jumps to another branch. And when he gets there, he has another thought 
this is unsafe, this is unsecure, let me go jump into another branch. Well, by now you've jumped back to the same branch that you were on in the first place, and nothing has changed except which branch the monkey is on. It can so be on the, the go ahead. If you're satisfied. <laughs> Pardon? Does the monkey ever stop jumping if it feels satisfied in the moment for, for, for long enough? Or is it always comes back to the cycle that eventually it jumps off that branch? Or can it see that it wants to jump to the next branch after a ah, while? Seeing the wanting to jump. That's the whole point is seeing that we want to jump, that we're not satisfied with being on the branch that we are. And when we can recognize that, oh, I want to get off of this branch, then we can say, wait a minute, there's really nothing wrong with the branch that I'm on. What's really wrong is my mood. And that mood said, oh, I want to make the mood better. Maybe if the monkey will jump, it will be better off. And when he lands at the new place, he has that same thought again. Oh, well, I'll be better off if I leave this branch and go to a third branch. And off we go into these cycles. So the meditator who's really, really into meditation is getting good things out of it. And then he says, oh, I want to go to Thailand. And then he comes to Thailand and he does a few retreats. And then he has the thought, oh, well, I'm finished with these retreats. I want to go back to my country. And so he'll be a bit back to the country. He'll stop talking to his teacher. He won't do anything for a while. He'll get really miserable like he was in the first place. And now that monkey wants to jump to another branch. So the question is, is that does he come back to Thailand or does he recognize, hey, it's not where I am. It's the fact that wherever I am, there I am. And we have to change the me in there. The me is always flexible. Vocations are hard to change. I mean, North Carolina and California, they just don't change places. But your mind does. And so we keep jumping around in the mind thinking that wherever we land, that's going to be good enough. And it winds up not being good enough. The same thing is happening again. So this is why we can say, wait a minute, let's do something really new. Let's start changing the way that we think and the way that we feel rather than trying to change the location or trying to change the circumstances. Because the circumstances are always in flux and changing anyway. And for most people, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are, they're not happy. Now, there are some professions that are almost guaranteed that you're going to be unhappy. There are unhappy professions. One of those would be a lawyer. Lawyers are paid to be grumpy. Cops are paid to be angry. So people who are police, they wind up, actually their profession is to go out looking for trouble. Who would want to have a job where your job was to go out looking for trouble? So that's one of the reasons that I've, I've have not talked to very many cops, but the, those that I had uh, who have listened to me, the thing that I would recommend to the cop is the profession itself is unwholesome. And that if you're going to continue to do that job, you're going to be continuing to expose yourself to unwholesome. 
So sometimes it's better to be in seclusion, being away from the unwholesome environment. But when we do that, we brought that unwholesome environment in the mind into that secluded place too. So now the real work begins. Yeah, we've gotten away from um, the situation, but that situation has residue. We brought that situation with us. Now it's time to really change the situation, to remember that it wasn't the situation that made me miserable. I chose to be miserable in that situation, and now that I've withdrawn it and got into seclusion, I'm still miserable. Maybe I should quit this um, seclusion thing and go back and be a cop. And so that's the cycle. That's the jumping around without recognizing that, yeah, sometimes the situation is unwholesome and we need to get out of that situation. But getting out of the situation is not going to make the mind wholesome. Not going to happen. We've already gotten into the habit of having the mind unwholesome. And what we really need to do is to start practicing again. Start putting time in. Start um, putting in the right effort. And it does take some effort. Because the, uh, the, the old habit is, is that, oh, I'm miserable, let me go change the circumstances. But the changing of the circumstances don't change the mind. We have to stop with trying to fix the circumstances and start recognizing, oh, I can change the way that I'm thinking. That I can, in fact, start enjoying those circumstances. Or I could find more wholesome circumstances, but in the important point is, is, is let's start enjoying our lives regardless of the circumstances. Let's start making a change because it's really, really easy. Oh, well, I feel bad now because Granny died, and now that I feel bad, I don't want to practice Anapanasati. Where in fact, the exact opposite is the case that if we would practice while Granny was on her deathbed, if we would practice while Granny croaked, then we can be uh, very happy. We can appreciate her life. We don't have to feel bad. The feeling bad is because of ignorance, because we don't recognize at any point that how we feel is up to us. And so I've seen these cycles that we get in. Sometimes these cycles last for months. Sometimes they last for years. They will get into the spiritual life. We'll start working at it. We get some benefit. And then we'll go someplace else. And we'll get involved with that circumstance. And then we'll go back into the old bad habits. And they always say, oh, I need to change the circumstances because it's the circumstances that make me miserable. No, that may have been true when we were little kids because we didn't, as little kids, have any control over either the circumstances or the way that we feel. But as adults, we have the wisdom to recognize that it's not the circumstances that are making me feel miserable. It's an old habit that's making me miserable tonight because I've been in that situation before and felt that way before. It's just a matter of a habit. So the remembering, how do you feel right now? To remember, to look, what kind of thoughts that we're having? This is the way that we practice. And we have to continue to do that because if we stop doing it, it's going to be quite natural for us to go back in to the old habits again. 
it's almost like um, gravity. The gravity is always there. When I mean by grave, like a, a, a somebody got uh, died and they dug a grave and put the body in it. So grave and gravity, that's a, um, the same word that means that we're always being pulled down. We're still being pulled down back into our old habits. And the only way out of that is to lighten up, to come out of that, to stop wanting to be better by changing the circumstances and start recognizing that the circumstances didn't make me feel bad, so changing the circumstances is not going to make me feel good. What is going to make me feel good is to remember to practice feeling good, to remember to practice to gladden the mind, to say, oh, I can come out of this. I don't have to stay stuck in this. So, Carl, you got a question. I just wanted to um, share that. I noticed it myself, like with bigger events as you portray saying like granny died uh, you lost their jobs for me it's easier to see that i need to practice now because this is a big event but there's smaller events happening throughout the day that we don't see when we need to gladden the mind there's there's these subtleties that we turned into habits those are the the things that indicate and leads us into not practicing a bit more of the time than bigger events almost feels like for me. I don't know how is it for mm -hmm. somebody else, but for me, it's like the smaller events add up throughout the day that lead me not practicing in the end. It's not a big event like I'm noticing, oh, granny died. I'm not practicing anymore. Actually, I'm going to practice if granny died because it reminds me of Dhamma. This is the one preparing for it. This is the, the show, as you say, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. So if dad got sick, granny died, then in fact, um, in the past all year or so, as I remember back, we've had to deal with granny dying, dad dying, dad getting sick in the sense of having a stroke. Uh, the guy wants a girlfriend. The guy has to deal with the girlfriend he's got. The guy has to deal with losing the girlfriend. Look at how many different opportunities do we have to feel bad. We lose our job, as the one Carl mentioned. And we have, there's actually kind of no end to the various ways that we can feel bad. And there's not very many ways to feel good. That almost all of the ways that we would think of that would feel good wind up making us feel bad, basically because we're in a state of desire. If we're feeling bad, we want to feel good. Therefore, we want to go change the circumstances. Well, we change the circumstances and we still don't feel good. We still want. Want, 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 want. That's the whole trick of it is, is that we recognize that we feel bad and we want to feel better. Rather than the way that the Buddha recommends is as soon as you recognize that you feel bad, instead of wanting to feel better, you just do. You just say, hey, I'm tired of feeling bad. Let me start feeling good. Hey, this is okay. I don't have to warn anything. I can just sit here and everything is all right. So it's basically that the monkey that drums from limb to limb is being driven by wanting. He either wants to get out of where he is or he wants to get someplace. When can we come to the point of saying what's happening right now is good enough? 
what's happening right now is good enough. If right now is good enough in Thailand, then I don't have to want to go to the United States to feel better. I can feel better right here, right now. That's the whole teaching of the Buddha. It's a very simple practice, but it is hard for us to put it into practice because of all of the various ways that we have been told our whole lives about how to get out of our bad feelings is basically by changing the circumstances. So if I want mocha and I'm served coffee, does that mean that I have to feel bad? Well, generally, yes, I wanted mocha and now I've got coffee. Instead of saying, oh, I've got coffee, that's good enough. I'm satisfied with what I've got. But back to that uh, question about the, uh, the four cows and the four quadrants, all four of the cows were disappointed with the grass that they've got. But somebody else who's dissatisfied with what he's got would be very happy if he had what you had until he gets what you have and he's still not happy. Amazing like that, isn't it? We're always thinking the grass is greener on the other side. That's the unwholesome point. Rather than recognizing this grass is good enough. This is it. So does anybody have any comments about this? I think Pedro, you're seeing what I'm talking yeah. about because you're right in the middle of this. Oh, I, really, I really see this. And in fact, I was thinking right now that uh, at first you mentioned the, like uh, uh, deep tendencies that uh, we eventually come back to those tendencies from time to time. And in fact, it, it is what happens to me, particularly when I'm doing like a good job with the practice. And uh, I, I feel uh, legitimate to like uh, be happy with what uh, there is. Sometimes it comes like this, uh, this big, uh, this kind of hit of, uh, I would say, opposite Shakti, <laughs> which is uh, like I, I, I don't know, like I, I'm happy the way is, uh, very satisfying. Then uh, I, I have the opposite Shakti, like not good Shakti, but the opposite, like the old thing that uh, um, from some point of view, like uh, I'm happy the way it is because I'm a loser and I should uh, try to change circumstances. So I'm uh, like the, the opposite kick uh, that is probably uh, some kind of tendency that comes up uh, uh, while I'm practicing, and so I have to get back on track and uh, go deeper the, the time, uh, time after time. Yes, uh, I appreciate what you're saying, that we do it that way. We, we want things to be better, but it's the things that we want to be better to where, in fact, it's our attitude about the things that need to be changed not the things. We think that we things would be better if we would change the things. And in fact, the changing of the things are not going to make us feel better. It's changing our attitude about everything. That's where the real change comes from, is our attitude. Everything is already okay. 
everything is already fine if we can remember to remind ourselves of that. We really don't need anything. What we really need, if there's anything to be needing, is to stop needing stuff. That's what we really need. We need to stop needing stuff and be satisfied with what we do have. So think about it. What is the things that you actually need? There's some basic things like you need to air. You need to breathe if you're going to stay alive. But people who are in the last moments of uh, life when they're about to die, they don't need to breathe anymore. In fact, the only thing that they can do is stop breathing. And then die. But until we're all ready to die. We need to breathe. So that's the first one. That's the one that's the most important. Being alive is is nice. It's really great. Being dead is also nice. It's really great. It depends upon your attitude about it. Or you can say life sucks and I don't like it, but I don't want to die. That's even worse. And so that's the cycle that most people are stuck in is is a set of bad choices. And if we change our attitude, now we can always have good choices to make. Because we've got the right attitude. The attitude of, I can do this. If you think that things are heavy, then that's suffering. That's in dukkha. But we don't have to set it down physically. We can actually instead put it down mentally. We don't have to carry it. So the things that we actually need would be like air. Over time, food, water, rest. But in fact, the Buddha talks about four requisites. These are requirements. These are the needs. We do need shelter. We do need uh, protection from the cold and the heat and the sun. We also have to have adequate food, adequate clothing, and adequate medical attention. All of those can be very, very small. But that step of the what's actually required is kind of low that in fact anybody who's got any job in the west has for their work far more money than what they actually need and so they frivolously waste all of the rest of the money rather than staying with just what we need if we can stay with just what we need and get that easily and happily Now, the rest of our life is completely free of needs. We don't need anything. We've already got everything we need. I need to breathe. Let's take a breath. I need a drink of water. Let's take a sip. I need rest. Let me rest. And that's all the basic needs there are. But look at how we use that word need. I need a girlfriend. I need a job. I need a mansion. I need a Lamborghini, I need a Maserati, I need to fly. I need to win that argument. And so we use the word need in um, a way that actually keeps us in a state of dukkha. If we can remember, I don't need much. 
That's where the strength comes in is because we don't need. Weakness comes from being in a state of need, wanting things. So think about it. What is it, Pedro, that you actually need? Not much. The things we actually need, we can get fairly easily. Carl, how about you? What do you need? Not much, but um, I was going to add, Piero mentioned loser, like you feel like a loser. And then you don't rather use the good example of like, I wanted a mocha, but then I got a coffee. Yesterday, I, I, I saw this older lady like who's turning 100 saying all her friends are miserable because when they go to the restaurant, the food is bad and they complain about the food. But she says, oh, the food is bad. I'm just going to order an extra dessert. So you turn your mentality into a winning mentality. Mm -hmm. It's not a sense that you feel like a loser, but you take the circumstances with a new attitude. As you said, you can change your attitude and then you're going to change the circumstances because your attitude is good. Food is bad. I'll get extra dessert. So we can apply mm -hmm. this to meditation as well. That's how that's what I just wanted to kind of add. But you don't need much. No, just a good attitude. Right. That's what we really need in life is to have a good positive attitude about not needing much. I need to not need stuff. That's what I really need. I need to appreciate I've got everything I need. And back in the 1950s, there was a movie and I think it was also a stage play. And the name of it was all the best things in life are free. Everything that you really need is actually free, easily available. The things that we don't need are expensive. And the expense is the delusion that we think we need them, that we want it, that we'd be better off if we had that Lamborghini or that mansion or that uh, 10 girl. Tro they, what do they call them? Trophy wives, right. I have to have a beautiful woman. That's what I need. And that's going to get us into a lot of trouble because beautiful women, they need handsome men. Not a man, men. And so if we could stop needing stuff, then we have the chance of being okay. Yes, Pedro, you got your hand up. You're back. You got your hand up. You have a question. You clicked so, on. Uh, one, uh, one, uh, one argument that some people uh, uh, say to me when I say that uh, I, in other words, but uh, basically I was saying that uh, I, I, I keep Duca at distance for this reason. I don't want to get to, to certain kind of things and activity and thoughts. Uh, a person said to me, well, uh, uh, you, his thesis was this, it was, uh, you can't uh, uh, call yourself out of the game yet because you haven't got enough results in the game to, to eventually call yourself out and change uh, uh, your way of life. So basically it means that uh, if I 
I'm not uh, somebody like a successful manager and so on. I cannot uh, uh, see the duca that comes with uh, uh, investing into being a, a certain kind of person and so deciding to have a different lifestyle in advance. For these people, I have to get there and then decide to not be that anymore. But my thesis is that uh, I can see it in advance, so I will not get into certain kinds of uh, positions and uh, and desires in advance. I think I think this is fair enough. <laughs> exactly, exactly correct. So this is where we can work with this: is to keep looking at how we think, what we're thinking about. Is this worthwhile thinking about, or can I change it to where I can think of something better than this? These are very, very simple practices. And it, the beautiful thing is it's in the Dhammapada and it's in many other suttas where the Buddha says that the practice that we have is good in the beginning, good in the middle, and good in the end. But there's also some gaps in there that is good in the beginning and then we quit practice and now things get bad again and we come back and we practice and now we're in the middle and if we practice again things are good and then if we stop practice then things will go back to the ordinary and we need to come back and start practicing again I have to remember to do that that's why sati is so important is because we have to remember to make a change otherwise it's going to be back to that gravity situation again that things go down um in fact you could call it the law of entropy the law of entropy um and before this modern scientists changed the name of it it was also called the law of inertia that things are at rest will stay in rest. Things are in motion will tend to be in motion, but there's always resistance. There's always heat. There's always an energy loss. Things will continue to operate and then fall apart. They come down. The natural tendency of human beings is to be miserable. That's why so many of them are miserable. Look how many unhappy human beings there are on the planet. Why would that be the case? I mean, the societies provide for all we need. Everything that you would desire, you've got cars, you've got clothes, you've got people, you've got all kinds of stuff, and yet almost the entire population of the planet Earth are unhappy people. Why is that? That's actually the standard state. It's what they call a dog-eat-dog world. That it's all a matter of survival and you got to punch you around to, to keep your uh, misery up to a certain standard. So what do I mean by that? Well, if you don't stay miserable a little bit, then you're going to get really miserable. Those are your only two choices. But if we're practicing the Dhamma in its correct fashion, then we can recognize it's always going to be good. It's going to be good in the middle, going to be good in the beginning. It's going to be good in the end. It's going to be good if we have that attitude that things are good. They're already okay. They're just fine. 
if we can learn to be satisfied with the way things are, because otherwise our attitude is, is that it's not good enough. And really what's not good enough is our attitude, which can easily change. If we're practicing, we can change that attitude by recognizing, oh, I've got a bad attitude right now, let me change it. I mean, these th these thoughts and these attitudes and these feelings are moving around a lot. A lot of people will say, oh, it's hard to change my thoughts. And that's not true. People are having new thoughts all the time. The mind is a monkey mind, remember? It'll jump and keep jumping and keep jumping and keep jumping. It's the jumping that's the problem, not um, that you can't change. That it's actually quite easy to change. That if the monkey wants to jump from uh, branch A to branch B, and then it wants to jump from branch B to branch A, all the monkey had to do was to just stay at branch A. He was already satisfied. That was the easy way to do it. So when they talk about meditation or Anapanasati being hard, that's just a bad attitude. The fact is, is that it's really easy when we do it. You can change your mind. You can be thinking about, oh, I miss Granny because she's dead, and I can change that thought into, wow, and Granny was a really great person. I learned so much from her. I'm really glad to have her. And so we can have good positive thought attitude about it. This is the way that we practice. But we have to keep remembering to practice because the gravity of the situation is going to pull us right back down. So I can think of two examples of this. Uh, both of them have to do with inertia or um, uh, the law of entropy. If you push a car, let us say that the battery is dead or that the car won't start, and that if you put it in neutral, you can push it. But to get it moving, you got to really work at it. you got to really get some strength in there and start it rolling. But once the car is rolling on a flat surface, we can keep it rolling with a very, very little effort. But if we stop pushing the car, it's going to come back to a stop again, and now it's going to take a whole lot of work to get it started moving again. That's because of gravity. The next point would be, um, uh, let us say you have a girl or a daughter who wants to swing. And getting the, the swing moving, dad will push the swing and it takes effort to get the swing going. But once the swing is going, now he only has to push a little bit. When the, when the child comes back up, we just push a little bit. And then they swing out, and then they swing back, and now we just push again. But if we forget to push, then the swing is going to go back down to nothing. It's going to stop. It's going to be affected by the gravity again. So in order for us to get over that gravity of bad feelings, the natural state of existence is to be in a state of wanting things, being in a state of bad feelings. We have to put the effort into it to get things moving again. And if we push for a while, everything is good for a while. But if we stop pushing, it's going to come back down to ground zero. It's going to stop. And we're going to be left then with the bad feelings and now we say, oh, I need this, I need that, 
I need these other things in order for me to feel good when all we had to do was just push that little bad feeling out of the way. That's all we need to do is just push those unhappy feelings away. But we ha but they'll cycle back and we push them again and they'll cycle back and we push them again. This is the right practice and there will be times when we stop pushing and things fall apart again. They go back into uh, uh, gravity. They come back into inertia. The swing will stop. The car will stop. And now when the car is stopped, we'll, we'll say things like, oh, I need to get some help to push this car again. I can't do it. Myself is always too hard. And we just 10 minutes ago were able to push it and get it going. I got to do it. So I pushed it. And now it stops. <laughs> and I think I can't do it this time, which is just the bad uh, feelings, the, um, uh, the bad attitude that we have. Instead of that, we can recognize, oh, I got that thing started one time. I pushed that swing before and got it swinging. I can push it again and get it swinging. This is all there is to the practice. How many years you've been doing the practice? Doesn't matter. The fact is, is can you keep remembering to come back and keep pushing out those unwholesome thoughts and push in the wholesome thoughts? Go ahead, Pedro. I think this uh, swing thing is my favorite example of uh, the Dharma because it, it's so clear. Like uh, it's it's so on point. It's so clear because yeah, you gotta swing the thing. <laughs> it's so clear. <laughs> It's the best, best example. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so here I am sitting for the past nearly an hour now, just harping on this one thing. Is that you have to remember to come out of the unwholesome because your natural state of being, like all of humanity, is in a natural state. The natural state is to be unhappy. Our, our society supports that. Our instincts support it. To come out of your misery is going to take some effort. We're going to have to pay attention. We're going to have to put in the effort to do it. And we also have to pay attention and put the effort into the issue of the thought of, oh, well, I don't feel good now. I'm not going to practice. Oh, Granny just died. I couldn't possibly practice meditation. Oh, Dad's got cancer. I couldn't possibly practice while I'm feeling bad about Dad having cancer. Or, oh, I just had a fight with the girlfriend. How could I possibly practice now? Then, in fact, that's the only time that you really need to practice is when you're feeling bad about the fight that you had with the girlfriend. And then we can see these cycles. Oh, I wanted a girlfriend. I felt bad because I didn't have one. And then I went to work and I got a girlfriend. And now what have I got? I've got an unhappy girlfriend. They, that comes with the territory. The likelihood of you finding a happy girlfriend is very, very remote because happy girls are not out looking for somebody to make them happy. But most of the girls are miserable anyway, and so they're out looking for a guy to make them happy. And the guy comes along and he's looking for a girl to make him happy. So you've got two unhappy people wanting the other one to make them happy. 
doesn't work very well, does it? But if we can understand that to recognize that it's not the girl that's going to make me happy. Let me get very, very happy and then I will be uh, having too many girls who want me because they think I can make them happy. Well, guess what? I'm pretty good at making people happy. But I don't need a girlfriend. <laughs> So the question is, can you do that? Can you remember that getting a girl is not going to make you happy? Having a girl is certainly not going to make you happy, but the real unhappiness comes when you lose the girl. And so wanting her and needing her in the first place is just dukkha, more dukkha, and a whole lot of dukkha. I'm unhappy when I need her and don't have her. I'm unhappy when I got to deal with her and her unhappiness. And then I'm really going to feel bad when I lose her. But that's the time when we feel most unhappy is when we've lost something. Why? Because all along we thought that we needed it and we were okay with it. And now we've lost it. A good thing to think about when we're, we just lost that girl is, I'm glad I don't have to deal with that anymore. That's a wholesome positive thought. Well, I'm glad I don't have to do that anymore. That is my cycle right now, Damarata, but I only woke up to the cycle once I lost the girl and I, and I oh, wow, I'm so glad I have I woken up right now. It is like in the end, once you lost it, it's like, as I said, when the event already the most unhappiness happens, that's when you practice. But you couldn't see the practice when when you were looking for it. So you, you were kind of still in your habits of like finding the girlfriend, then you're in a relationship, then you're still not seeing it, that you're still trying to look for that happiness, you're still trying to keep busy, and then you lose it, you get really unhappy, and now you wake up. Mm -hmm. The same thing happens with a job. Oh, I need a job. How bad do I need a job? How about a bachelor's degree? How about a master's degree? Look how hard they go to school because they need a job. And when they get the job, it's not a satisfying job. They don't really like the job, but they got to do the job. And then the, the boss finds out that you don't like the job and you don't want to do the job. And so you get fired. So you were miserable trying to get the job. You were miserable while you had the job. And now you're really miserable when you lose the job. What about those jobs, guys? <laughs> and we're all under the delusion that we need a job. Nobody needs a job. What we need to do is to breathe. What we need to do is to be happy. To stop needing stuff, to stop needing girls, stop needing cars, stop needing jobs and be just at the basic requisites. All I need is just a sip of water. That's all we need, just a new breath. It's all we need don't need to be covered with clothing. But in fact, look how many people that there's a there's an old story that goes with clothes made the man or the clothes make the man. And there's many examples of that. But the one that's really a funny one is, is that there's two bank robbers and they have the plan that one of the bank robbers is going to dress up like a cop and he's going to stand in front of the uh, a bank while his other friend goes in to rob the bank. And while he's standing there in front of the bank, a little kid comes up and he helps the kid tie his shoes. 
an old lady comes by and says, oh, I'm really glad that you're here to protect us. I mean, the cop's not acting like a cop. He's a robber at heart. He's just dressed like a cop, but he's not acting like a cop. He's acting like somebody that's afraid. And so people will see him that way. So the story goes is, is that by the time the real robber came out of the bank with his accomplice, the accomplice is dressed as a cop, he arrests his partner. Why? Because the clothes made the man. He became a cop in his own mind while he was dressed as a cop. So think about that also. Um, an example would be the beach, where all of the people wear very, very skimpy clothes. You know, 100 years ago, when people went to the beach, they wore ordinary clothing. In fact, in Thailand, when the girls go swimming, they go swimming in their clothes. And then they take the clothes off and put other clothes on. But in the West, we've got the going to the beach has become highly sexualized. You can't go to the beach in clothes. You've got to go to the beach in a bikini. Why is that then? What does the bikini do to change the girl? Before, when she was dressed as ordinary clothing, is she's an ordinary person. But when she puts a bikini on, now she becomes a sexual object. If you get a new suit, you feel like that you're better off because you've got new clothes. But those new clothes that you got, you wanted them in the first place. You felt bad because the clothes you've got are not good enough. So you go out and buy some new clothes. You feel good for a while. But then those new clothes get old. And then they rot and then they die. And now we're in the need of new clothes. Why? Because of the attitude, oh, the clothes make the man. That this was really true um, years ago, that what the way that people dressed, and this is still true today, laborers dress like laborers. Uh, college professors dress like college professors, which is different than dressing like a corporate executive. And everyone dresses the part, the clothes define who you are. So, think about that in the sense of it doesn't really matter what clothes you have because the clothes don't affect you that much. What really affects you is your attitude of, oh, I needed to dress in this particular way. I had to dress for success, but I still, even though I dress for success, does that make me successful? Or maybe it's an attitude. Maybe if we dress with a good attitude, the clothing wouldn't be so important anymore. Can we, in fact, start to change our attitude about everything? Clothing, housing, how we structure our time, all of those things we thought was, if I do what I'm supposed to do, if I deal with the circumstances, then I'll be okay. And the fact is, is that dealing with circumstances always is going to make us miserable. What we have to do is stop dealing with circumstances and start dealing with our attitude. Start dealing with the thoughts that we have. That if your family is telling you, oh, you've got to go be social. Oh, you've got to go do this, that, and the other thing. And we're already miserable. Then we think, oh, yeah, they're right. I've got to go do this. I've got to go do that in order to be happy. 
But if you already got your mojo, then when they say that, we can say, okay, I'll take care of that. I got no problem with it. So how can we develop that attitude? Oh, I can handle that. Oh, I've got no problem with it. Because that's the kind of attitude that that we would have as a winner. And it doesn't matter the clothing, doesn't matter the housing, doesn't matter the job, doesn't matter the girlfriend, doesn't matter about all the things that we thought was important, the clothing we wear, etc. None of that's really important. What's important is, is that we're satisfied with what we do have. And that takes practice because we grew up not being satisfied with what we've got. We got to go find it someplace else. So we're all one of those cows trying to eat the grass under the fence that's in the other pasture. We're not satisfied with our own pasture. So we have to remember, oh, I can be satisfied with what I've got. This is good enough. And in fact, we can feel really good about having everything that we need. That's in fact quite the amazing or the wow sensation that we can develop in the first jhana is to recognize that, wow, we do have everything we need. Hot dog, I don't have to go do anything anymore. Hot dog, I don't have to go chase this and I don't have to chase that. I'm already okay as a wholesome thought. That a lot of people will tell themselves that they're already enlightened, which they know is not the case. They know it's not true, but they want to be enlightened. And so they're claiming that they are enlightened, where in fact they're not. That someone who's really, really satisfied with their life, they don't even need to use the word or the label enlightened. Because they're satisfied without the label. It's really a very, very easy practice. It's easy and good in the beginning. It's easy and good in the middle if we can remember that it is easy in the beginning. It is easy in the middle. It is easy at the end if we can remember that. But we forget, we let the swing come back to the zero. We stop pushing the car, it comes back dead stop again. And then we say, all oh, this is hard. And we catch that hard. In fact, this is a magic word to use. Why is it magic to use? Is because we're going to stop using the word hard. And start using the word easy. Can you remember that it's easy? Otherwise, we'll think that it's hard. We have to remember that it's easy because our natural default position is that life is hard. Life sucks. And the rea- and that's always a lie. The reality is, is that life really is easy. All we have to do is stop needing stuff. And then life becomes really easy. Life is really, really easy. Until we want it, until we want something. And now it's hard. So the question is, Pedro, can you remember that your life is really easy? Carl, can you remember that your life is really easy? Can you remember that? Ahmed, can you remember that your life is actually easy? 
Can you remember that? Because if you forget, life's going to get hard again. How about you, Kat? Is your life easy? Can you remember that life is easy? So in that regard, does anybody have any easy questions for me? I don't want any hard questions, just easy questions. Anybody got any easy questions? Like, can I remember that life is easy? Yeah, I can remember. I can remember that life is easy and I've got all I need. But if we don't remember that life is easy, it's automatically going to generate thoughts of this is hard. That's hard. Meditation practice is hard. No, it's not. It's dead easy. All you have to do is remember that it's easy. I mean, what is it in meditation anyway? You're already just sitting there with nothing to do and no place to go in reality. What's so hard about that? The answer is what's hard about it is the thoughts that come up saying that this is hard. Because we don't remember that meditation is actually quite easy to do. There's nothing to it. The only thing to it is, is to remember that it's easy to do. It's not hard. Just like that, uh, that stalled car, once we get it moving, keeping it moving is easy. Just push it a little bit and then push it a little bit more and then just push it a little bit more. But if we forget to push, it's going to stop again. Can you remember to start pushing it again or keeping it going? This is the whole trick. Make it easy. When you remember that life is easy, it really is easy. And when we forget that life is easy, it gets hard. So start looking at the times you use or you think about the word hard. Take it out of your vocabulary. You don't need to use the word hard. Can you remember that, Pedro? Can you remember that things are not hard, that they're easy? How about you, Carl? Can you remember that things are easy, that they're not hard? The default is they're hard. The reality is they're easy. This is an easy talk, by the way. <laughs> Nothing hard about it. I was going to say you're in the business to kill all the busyness. Mm -hmm. Right, that we can remember to stop being busy because we don't need anything. Whatever that busy was, the question is, is instead of doing it because it's hard and we need to do it, can we do it because it's fun to do, because we like doing it? We feel successful at what we're doing rather than feeling like it is hard work. It's just a matter of changing your attitude. And changing your attitude is easy when you remember to change your attitude. So does anybody have any last comments?
Anything to say. Ah, easy peasy, huh? <laughs> okay, guys, well, why don't we finish this talk? It's been an easy one. Cool. Cool. Take cool. care, guys. Bye bye. All right. All right. We'll see you guys. Bye. Interesting. Okay. Bye bye.